Today, I am joined by my good friends Andrew Miller. Hi there. Andre Johnson. Hello. And Jared Connell. Thanks Hello. for joining me, fellas. All right. We're talking about unsung heroes of World War II today. We got three absolute mad lads for you. We have Mad Jack Churchill, Joseph Crow, and Garbo. The following podcast is sponsored by the New Hood College Gear Shop. The gear shop replaces the old Hood College bookstore. Most of us remember the bookstore as just the place where we bought or rented books. Well, that's not the case anymore. The Hood College Gear Shop is a great place to buy all kinds of things. Need some Hood-branded merch? You'll find hoodies and t-shirts, hats and scarves, sweats and socks, mugs and cups. They may even have Hood-branded blankets. Low on shampoo or soap? They have you covered. Bad breath before class? Buy some gum or Tic Tacs. Need a pen, highlighter, or notebook? The Gear Shop has tons. Does your roommate have a dog? Buy them a Hood College leash or collar. Need some Advil or Tums? The Hood Gear Shop has your back. Need a last-minute birthday gift for your best friend? You'll find plenty of options. What I'm saying is, the Hood College Gear Shop has you covered for all your gifts, school, snacks, and Blazer-branded clothing needs. So next time you are in Wit, stop in and browse around. Mention my name, Christian Ficarra, and the name of this podcast, Please Keep Talking, and receive 10% off your purchase of any Hood-branded merch. But listen to the show first. Today, I am joined by my good friends, Andrew Miller. Hi there. Andre Johnson. Hello. And Jared Connell. Thanks Hello. for joining me, fellas. All right. We're talking about unsung heroes of World War II today. We got three absolute mad lads for you. We have Mad Jack Churchill, Joseph Crow, and Garbo the Spy. Uh, let's just get right into it. Andrew, you were talking about Mad Jack Churchill, aren't you? I am. I am indeed a true mad lad known for landing on the beaches of Normandy with a long bow and a broadsword like a true hero of Scotland. Uh, he served in the West, in France, uh, Italy, Norway, and Yugoslavia, where he was eventually captured, but did not stay captured for long. Um, known as being quoted as saying an officer was improperly dressed if he did not have a sword with him. And eventually ending up in Burma, where he would get to fight the Japanese for a couple of days before the war ended with the uh, dropping of the atomic bombs. What was uh what was the quote that he said when when he found out that he was going to be going home? That if it wasn't for those damn Yanks, we could have kept the war going and run another ten years. Damn Yanks, Truly. ruining a good oh, time. <laughs> Truly a combat junkie. Truly, I mean, absolute mad lad. I mean, you have to be a certain type of crazy to just walk into World War II, one of the largest theaters of war ever with a broadsword and bow and arrows. Yeah, it's not like this is the 1600s or something where that's common, no. Yeah. That's where you're wrong, bucko. <laughs> he unfortunately did not get to put his longbow to much use. Apparently it was destroyed uh, the morning of Normandy. Oh, I mean, but no, he got to use, he killed a couple Germans with it. He got, got a How couple, them, a couple of them get? with his barb-tipped arrows. He got some people with his broadsword, and he captured people with his broadsword as well, which was really <laughs> impressive. You're capturing think, someone with a rifle. I think one of his greatest exploits that I've heard about is him and his men making just an absolute ruckus to make the opposition believe that there was more of them, and they all surrendered themselves, and then it was a dude with a broadsword and about 20 other soldiers. Scare tactics. They always work. Yeah. 100%, 100%. 100%. 
absolute mad lad. I don't think any of us are denying the no. fact that this man was no. insane. But <laughs> tell us, um, what are some of his greatest exploits? Well, he eventually would go on to become the battalion leader of Number 2 Commando, a unit of commandos for the British Army. Uh, they would conduct operations in Italy, and Norway, and Yugoslavia, most famously in Yugoslavia, as that's where he would be eventually captured. But a couple months later, he would escape along with 140 other inmates uh, when the SS patrol that was guarding them uh, feared they would be executed and kind of just ran away. So... <laughs> So Mad Jack took the opportunity along with his fellows and got the hell out of there. He also led his battalion to success in Yugoslavia, leading groups of over 1,500 partisans in attacks and uh, in assisting the landings that were going on in uh, Yugoslavia and the operations that were going on in Yugoslavia at the time. You know, doing things like hit-and-run tactics, raiding emplacements, uh, destroying supply depots, that kind of thing. Just being an absolute thorn in the German side as much as he could. I think that's kind of a uh, a recurring theme with these mad lads. It's just like kind of a thorn <laughs> in the German side. And why not? And why not, you know? Yeah, if there ever was a time to be a thorn in anyone's side, it might as well have been the Germans. Yep. Um, yeah, absolute mad lad oh, yep. deserves nothing but our respect. You just don't go run into World War II with a broadsword and come out of the other side wanting more war. <laughs> yeah. Um, I believe he did go on and eventually became a surfer. And, uh, yes, he did. Yes, he and did. he eventually starred in a couple movies too. I believe he starred in those uh, before and after the war. Yeah. He wasn't just a superstar just because of the war. Another thing he did actually was uh, during the war in uh, Italy, he went into a town, just him and one other guy, another corporal that had been from his regiment, and they managed to capture forty-two Germans, including a mortar squad. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, and captured the town eventually. Uh, he had to go back into the town uh, to retrieve his broadsword, which he had lost in hand-to-hand -hand combat yeah. while engaging the German regiment. Didn't he come? Wasn't it that time he came across an American patrol and was like, "Don't go that way," and they called him crazy. And then he said, "I'm not coming back a bloody third time." That is indeed. That is indeed the time. Gosh, absolute. That's the definition life. of a real life Highlander. Yeah, I mean, well, like, know, like the it's very Scottish to say, "I'm not coming back a bloody third time." Well, they uh, had to go. You, you know, there I ain't coming back for you. Yeah, I mean, just a Chad. We hear the word Chad get thrown out a lot yeah. these uh, these days, but he was a Chad through and through. There's Absolute also, mad lad. There's a slightly less known story about him, which is uh, his operation, his time in Norway. He, along with um, Number 3 Commando, which he was in the regiment of at the time, uh, conducted an operation called Operation Archery, which was a raid on a German garrison. <laughs> He led the charge from the landing craft, playing a march of the Cameroon men on his bagpipes before throwing <laughs> grenades into the <laughs> enemy Germans. For that, he received the military cross from the British. <laughs> Mad lad. 
Absolutely. Crazy. Any closing thoughts on Mad Jack Churchill? I think there's going to be a lot of respect Crow. for going into combat with a longbow and a broadsword. Yeah, just imagine being a German soldier and just watching this man run down the streets with a broadsword. Definition of a real-life berserker. Just yeah. Straight up. Guns, doesn't matter. For me, I've got the longs. I got the broadsword. For me, it's the pattern of just imagining those Germans on the beach where he landed, just hearing bagpipes in the distance and then explosions oh, that approaching you. <laughs> Every time I've heard bagpipes, it always sounds like a almost a demon crying it's oh. horrible it's great. it is one of the place. most terrifying but also one of the most beautiful things you will ever hear in your life is the sound of actual bagpipes we do love good bad pipes. i love good bagpipes, bagpipes are nice. great we love bagpipes um but definitely not the only mad lad of the war no yes. let's hear about okay, so joseph crow the, the last <laughs> native american war chief so, no, 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 last war chief of the Crow tribe. Oh, okay, I'm, last Crow. I'm not 100% crow. sure on whether or not he's the last war oh, chief. Oh, definitely not. There's def, there's got to be more, but, but the last, last war, war chief of, of the crow, crow tribe. So, okay, my guy is Joseph Crow. He was one of the first in his tribe to actually go to college. And, in fact, when the war started, he was in college in California. Right? Now, he has a history of coming from a very... I wouldn't say war-driven tribe, but a very active tribe. Where, like, as he was growing up, he learned how to ride a horse bareback, you know, learned how to master his fear, how to track game, withstand the extreme cold. Pretty much, their tribe is a tribe of badasses, essentially. Right? Anyway, the war starts, and he ends up joining one of the scout divisions. Now, as a member of the Crow tribe being in the scouts. This man had his work cut out for him. This is stuff that he's done in the wilderness for the most part as being part of the scouts. All right? And one of the things that makes Joe Crow so cool in this time is he also completes his deeds to become a full-fledged war chief at this time, during the war. And for those who don't know, the trials that are needed in order to become a war chief include leading successful war band, taking a weapon from an enemy, um, I believe... Stealing one of your enemy's weapons. Stealing a horse. And stealing a horse. And then touching your enemy without, without killing, killing them. them. Yes. So, over the course of the war, Joseph's unit ends up coming across a town. And they were sent to control this town. This, con this town has one large main street you know, going down it, and they were going to take this town. Well... While the rest of his unit was kind of like, oh, let's raid it. Let's, you know, take control. He was like, okay, I don't want to do this. But I sense the possibility of trying to get one of my challenges done. Let me go in and try and get some information. Right? So he goes in and goes in and gets some information. And coincidentally, as he's turning down this main street, he runs into a German soldier. He takes... They get into a tussle, and eventually Joseph stands on top. The German guy's fine, a little battered and beaten, but overall alive. 
And he takes the weapon. There's two of the challenges done. Took the weapon and touched an enemy without killing them. He goes back and the rest of the, uh, the town gets taken and Joseph's unit takes control. Later down the line, Joseph Crow was tasked in leading a scout unit to try and like find some of the enemy positions and everything like that. And he ends up, while they're searching, they find some Germans who are riding horses. So Joseph, who already has the third challenge done, he's led a successful war band, now has the capability to complete the fourth challenge, steal an enemy horse. So they end up following the Germans in secret and find this big ranch that the German officers have been using as kind of a forward operating base. And a bunch of German officers have been using this. And the guy who's in charge of it has been like a big fan of racehorses. So the stable was essential. So we have a place where we can steal horses from. That's the exact thought that goes through Joe's mind. So Joe goes back to his commanding officer and the commanding officer places the order and they surround this ranch. And as the night draws to a close and day starts to like come about, Joe talks to his commanding officer. He's like, look, I know we're about to just launch attack on these officers, but let me go in there. Let me steal a horse first so he can complete his challenges, so he can complete his and finally become a war, war chief. So he takes someone from the, the regiment and they go in and sneak into this stable. Joe takes some rope and he pretty much creates a, not a makeshift saddle, but essentially a makeshift saddle made out of rope. And he hops on this horse and he rides and steals this horse from the Germans and rides it past the friendly line. And the moment he does, the attack takes, takes place. And I, I'm not 100% sure on the exact numbers, but a good amount of German officers were in fact captured, um, which the information that they got from them I don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you the direct correspondence to the motions of the war, but either way. But that that last challenge was what made Joe Crow the last war chief of the Crow tribe. And that that I honestly think that makes him kind of a badass. Oh, 100% definitely. Let's, I mean like if you think about it really I think that those challenges are probably like weren't really made in mind with like World War Two in mind. But Man completed I mean, his side quest. But he com- But the, but that's besides the fact he did he did something arguably that seemed to be even more challenging because it was World War Two. If anyone knows about World War Two, <laughs> essentially the orders given to Americans was shoot on sight and. Pretty much the same for the Germans. 
and anyone that was involved. We keep forgetting that there are more than the British, the Germans, and yeah. the Japanese, and the Americans. <laughs> there was a ton of, it was like, what, a hundred and something countries? There were a lot of countries. A lot of countries war. involved. Insane amount. But, yeah, it's like, challenges are hard. The, those challenges are hard enough as they are during the time that they were made. Yeah. In World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> It's an, it's just insane, especially when everyone has these rifles, these guns, God. and you gotta strike an enemy, I'll take their the weapon tanks. from them, <laughs> take their horse. Hey, like where are you gonna find a horse? Well, he found one. Yeah, he, he found, found one. one. He yeah, found he did one. Find one. Okay, enough, man's that man wasn't too uh, addicted to gambling on the horses. Maybe he wouldn't. <laughs> you know, he yeah. wouldn't have completed them. But I mean, yeah. So many cool people that came out of World War II. <laughs> yeah. There's probably a dozen people that we could have talked about today that we didn't. But, I mean, ugh. Yeah, there's Do a Do you lot. know of anybody, Andre? Hmm. Well, we just went over these two. Got Garbo coming up. Got Garbo coming up. I don't know. Not off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's just a lot. There's a lot of people that are just crazy. But yeah. Anyways. Who is ready to talk about Garbo? I'm going to throw Garbo. Garbo into the mix. Garbo. Um, Juan. <laughs> Juan Pulo Garcia. Better known as Garbo. A Spanish man who hated socialism so much that when he was conscripted into their army, uh, he decided not to show up. Uh, and he was arrested by the government. <laughs> they don't need me here. <laughs> they don't need me here. <laughs> um, and he was thrown in jail, obviously. Um, however, he was broken out by revolutionaries. And uh, he was like, wow, Thanks. And then he went home and he realized that his farm got repossessed by the government because socialism. Um, and he did not like that very much. So, <laughs> so we said, all right, I'll fight your war. And the first battle, do you want to know what he did the first battle? They were fighting against fascists. you want to know what he did? Deserted to what the he fascists. Did? He deserted <laughs> to the fascists. <laughs> exactly. He hated so socialism so much. That he'd rather fight on the side of fascists than socialism. Um, however, fascists being fascists didn't believe him. So they also throw him in jail. Um, and this is where his deep-seated hatred of just the idea of two groups fighting because they have differing political ideas begins. Um, this guy would do great today. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, right? When he got, when he finally got out of the uh, fascist jail, uh, he realized something. He said, "Well, I don't like socialism. I don't like fascism. What do I like? Freedom." Um, so he decided to try to become a British spy. Uh, he went to the British embassy, and they said no three times. In fact. So he decided to be a little mischievous and essentially decided to troll Germany. He went to either a Spanish post office or something like that. And he said, hey, I'm a politician. I lost my political visa. Can you get me one? And they were like, 
Yeah, sure. So they gave him a political visa. He traveled to Germany. Um, or either he traveled. I think Germany sent a German spy to meet him and vet him. And he was like, yeah, I'm a pro-fascist uh, politician in Spain. Here's my here's my, poli- uh, my political <laughs> visa. And he was like, okay. So he then began training as a spy. They, the Germans told him to go to Britain to like go and be a spy. But he said, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he went to Portugal. Portugal instead of going to Britain. He started like buying British newspapers and was just like writing back like useless information to <laughs> Germany to try to convince them that he was there. It was like he would see in the newspapers that there was a carnival and then he'd be like, ah, oh, there was a carnival today. And a lot of what he would do is he would describe like the city that he was supposed to be in. And it would be like, oh, the bustling of the people, the sound of the cars, all this kind of stuff. Um, And he was selling himself really well. Um, So eventually, down the line, Germany goes, hey, we want you to create a network of spies um, in, in Britain. So he was like, okay. So he hired like two people. It essentially decided to just make Germany believe that there was an entire network of spies in Britain of like 20 people. And, of and you know, he would do stuff like, oh, one of them got sick and died. You can't talk to him. He's dead. Um, just all that stuff. And eventually he went to the American government and he was like, hey, I've been you know, working for Germany. However, I don't like Germany. I was just gaining their trust so I could become a spy for you guys. And America was like, why haven't the British picked this guy up? (laughs) So eventually um, he got assigned the uh, code name Garbo and he started working with MI5, the British intelligence agency, essentially. It's like the CIA, but for Britain. Um, And... (laughs) So, you know how there was that movie, The Imitation Game, where they were trying... I believe that was World War One, wasn't it? They were trying to crack the codes of World War One, or was World it World War II? It was World War Two. Anyways, those were probably the field codes, though. The Enigma codes. The Enigma codes. Okay. Well, anyways, um, Garbo would just receive code books from Germany. <laughs> And eventually, like, eventually, like, you know, the British gave him an office, and you just walk out of his office down the hall, and you'd be like, "Here are those new German spy codes, <laughs> by the way." <laughs> so they didn't need to like break any codes. They didn't need to like be worried about spies because Germany left it all up to Garbo, and they were like, "Yeah, you're doing this." And he was like, "Cool." Um, eventually, they sent him like a big code machine and they like smuggled it to like this tiny warehouse where he was supposed to pick it up they were like yeah we smuggled it past british security (laughs) they suck and then british mi5 came in and they're like all right guys we got the we got the machine good work it's it's like this man finessed an entire country (laughs) of (laughs) this is the best part though eventually germany were so impressed with Garbo 
that they stopped training spies. It was just Garbo. They thought he had an entire network and they were like, we don't need anyone else because Garbo's so great. And he's got all these like, Garbo's got us. But no, Garbo, in fact, did not have them because he was fighting on the side of the allies the entire time. Um, Garbo's word was essentially gospel to the Ober Commando. Like if Garbo said something, they believed it. There came, there was a point where there was an attack on Germany, like on a on a German base somewhere, and Garbo sent them the message. Like, by the way, there's going to be an, an attack, right? But he sent it, and they made sure that it got held up at customs for a while. And then he, and then when the attack happened, he said, "What are you guys doing? You don't believe in the cause as much as I do." <laughs> Meanwhile, he's the one that made sure that the entire thing got off. <laughs> late and it was at this point they were like okay we got to send him the, the machine so they sent him the machine and this okay i know i've said this guy this to you guys in the past few weeks but this is one of the reasons why i think garbo like nearly single-handedly won the war for the allies and i'm not saying this because oh he's the one that shot hitler himself but he played quite possibly the biggest role in the invasion of Normandy on D-Day. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get into this. Operation Fortitude was the misinformation campaign to conceal the plans of Operation Overlord, which was D-Day. Um, and essentially what it was, it was Garbo for months telling Germany that there is going to be a massive attack of about 200,000 soldiers on this one beach, right? It was about, I think, like 120 miles away from D-Day. Calais, the closest point between uh, England and France. Yeah, yeah. So, get this. There wasn't an attack there. You know what Garbo had, you know, the British, uh, the British military do for him? <laughs> they bought a ton, they made a ton of inflatable tanks and inflatable <laughs> planes in fake barracks and stuff like that they dug a bunch of like pointless trenches and they made it seem like there was going to be a massive attack on this on this <laughs> point when in reality there was no attack um and germany put a lot of forces on that beach to try to stop this attack that wasn't going to happen so much so that you know, it was over half of their force was over on this beach instead of in Normandy where D-Day happened. Um, so D-Day goes off. I won't say without a hitch because a lot of people died and it was a terrible time in the war. But it was a major turning point in World War II where the Allies were able to get to, you know, France and stuff. And they were able to start taking France back. So that is why I think Garbo kind of single-handedly won the war for the Allies. But that's not all. Garbo is the only person in history to be awarded both the Iron Cross from Germany, which is their highest medal of honor, and also the Medal of Honor. <laughs> Hitler himself gave the speech awarding Garbo the Iron Cross. That is how important his word was 
to the Germans. And what's even crazier is that even after the war, the Germans did not know that Garbo was a double agent. They just, he went back to farming in Spain (laughs) with his family, with his wife and his kids. As we all hope to one day. Yeah. It, it was absolute insane person decided to troll all of Germany. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he still has some descendants, but, I mean, after the war, he literally did nothing. He went back he to farming. He had done enough. He had done his part. He had done... <laughs> he literally went back to farming. I mean... Anyways, um, if you guys want to see how big his fake, uh, <laughs> how big his fake uh, spy web was, this is how big it is. I'm currently looking at the <laughs> organizational chart of about twenty twenty five people. <laughs> and it just goes oh, on. So let's oh, lift off uh, four people. <laughs> so yeah, we have we have uh, Agent One is K L M Steward. Uh, what is that? Oh, it's Royal Dutch Airlines. So <laughs> we had uh, William Gerbers. He was a Swiss German businessman. That was the guy that they had to fake the uh, death for. Um, Benedict Carlos Venezuela, <laughs> a student in Glasgow. I mean, all real people. All real, definitely oh, all real, real people. Definitely real. Gotta be. Um, you don't know Venezuela? You don't know? Some crazy ones, actually, is that they convinced him that they had a spy that was an officer in the British 49th Infantry. Um, some other ex-seamen, soldiers, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just a complete lie. Complete lie. This man came from nothing and decided to troll all of Germany, which is amazing. I think that's just fantastic. Um, also, he scammed Germany out of a lot of money, <laughs> evidently, because if they if he had twenty people in his staff, he had to have twenty payrolls. So he got he got around three hundred thousand dollars total from Germany, and I don't believe that's adjusted adjusted for inflation. Um, how much would that be in today's money, Jared? How much cash? Uh, three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand. From the 60s? Yeah. From a couple that, million today. That'd be close to a, a couple lot. million, yeah. Insane. We, I know you were on, uh, Andre, for the Money Mancers podcast. Yep. <laughs> Talk about a literal Money Mancer making mu- money from doing pretty much nothing. Just sat around. Just sat around fake writing fake things. I mean, he wrote about 20 correspondence a day, I think. And all of them were just fluff. It was nothing. <laughs> Big, just nothing. But had an oversized effect on the war, too. Doing it. <laughs> you had vacation. An amazing effect on the war. Yeah. Speaking of which, I just did the math on the inflation thing. Yeah, $300,000 in 1960s money is the equivalent of $3.1 million yeah. today. Yeah, three, $340,000 over the course of the war. 27 fabricated people. It was just him. One dude. One dude. Imagine pulling off one of the greatest feats of the war just by sitting down and writing a whole bunch of hoopla. Insane. 
Insane. Most excellent order of the British Empire. That's what he won. Not the... Uh, Medal of Honor. Not the Medal of Honor. Yeah. No. He got it from King George the Sixth, November 25th, 1944. What's even crazier is that same year, just a few months earlier, that's when he got the Iron Cross. Insane. Absolutely insane. That is awesome. Very <laughs> <laughs> So wait, actually, they did find out that he was a... <laughs> He was a spy, so he feared it. So he traveled to Agn- uh, what is this? Agnola, and he faked his death from malaria. <laughs> Angola? Angola, yeah. 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 Um, and then he divorced his wife after as well. I see. But he was running a bookshop, bookstore, and a gift shop. So, yeah. I mean, he went back to farming for a bit, and then he went and ran a bookstore and a gift shop. Could have published his correspondence, made a killing. Oh, my gosh. There's that, um, I know it's, like, not really related, but there's that one book where it's just, like, the executioner of Glasgow. He wrote, he had a book where it's literally just his notes. Was that the guy that was known for, like, carrying out the executions at the end of the war? No, this was a while ago. Okay, was- no, no, not at all. No, this was like during medieval okay. Glasgow. Yeah, Yeah, Thomas Young, 1815. That wasn't him. Oh, you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Maybe it was Thomas Young. Anyway, know. the medieval uh, Mad Lads may be a different podcast. Oh my gosh, we, we should do that, though. Y'all down for that? I'm yes, so down for that. 100% down. Yeah. Medieval madness, we'll call it. <laughs> Anyways, so... After hearing this, has has any of your opinions swayed, or do you still like Joe? Okay, I'm gonna be honest. I still gotta stand for Joe, not only just because he's my story, but also his was one that was actually like in combat. Other than just, I don't know. Would you? I, I think a, I think a, I think a shit poster is a lot cooler <laughs> than a soldier. Yeah, I would say that's badass though. I would say it's, it's hilarious. Oh, Matt, but imagine just having so much disdain for fascists that you're like, I'm going to troll them. You don't need to worry about that. I mean. <laughs> what about you, Andre? You still, no, I'm you still, still for ro- Churchill. Okay, what about it was, you? It's a hard decision. I do enjoy the story of Garbo because who doesn't like a man who can change the course of a war through his correspondence alone? But, you know, I think all of these guys deserve our respects oh a hundred percent never for a second are we gonna say that none of these guys deserve our respect because they deserve nothing but our respect yeah, yeah. these men freaking were just absolute mad lads in every sense of the word yeah anyways I think that's all the time we have for tonight. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me on this episode of Please Keep Talking. Of course, of course. Um, Have a good night.